I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man made out of tears. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and subtongues. Dialects and subtongues. Hello. Uh, welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt and Stephen. Now, before we get into today's film and episode, Stephen, uh, we've we've often talked about AI. AI is a kind of part of our robot universe, and AI seems to be at, at a point where everyone thinks it's going to be the end of humanity. It, it It's all over Radio 4, so it's definitely here. <laughs> There was a story that I saw yesterday, which I knew would just be so up your strata, because it, it's all about it's about AI and it's about photography, and it's about this photographer who won a competition, a photography competition, but refused the prize because um, an AI had created the image. Discuss. He did a very good job because there's three hands in the image and the hands look quite good. And we all know that it's the AI just cannot do hands. Yeah. What do you think this this says, if anything, about AI or about our credulity or, or what? Well, this one interests me because he put a lot more effort into it. He's termed a new phrase. I don't know whether it'll catch on. It's called fontography, mm-hmm. where you type in, you use obviously a font to type in to create this image. And he said he put a lot of effort into this one, where he refined and refined and refined the image. Okay. So I'm okay with this because there was creativity involved in it. Now yeah. I haven't read up on where whether the Images that he used to refine it were his own. So this is where the controversy comes in. If they're his own images, then I'm very happy as this is a creative tool. If they're somebody else's images and they're not going to get any kind of uh, shout out over them, then no, it still needs refining. I'm going to link to an episode of one of our favourite YouTube channels, The Corridor Crew, because they recently did an episode explaining the sort of legal minefield that AI image image generation kind of pops up. Now, it's something like that you've got... So if I take a photo of you and upload it and then ask AI to find a, a photo of Stephen Murray, it will, it, will, it will grab that image, but because it has to break the image down and then reassemble the image, that that somehow makes it a unique f- an image for the AI... Well, we're going to have to refer to the the music industry that started this whole idea of through sampling. But how do you how much you change that piece of music and adapt yeah. it to your track, your your music? And if you look at an image and say that's recognisably not just an image that I've done, but my art style, and this is where it'll come in. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, it is. So I'll put all of this info in the show links. So I'll link to the story uh, of the the photographer who duped the judges, and I'll also link to the Corridor Crew's explanation of the how this process happens and where the sort of legal problems lay because I think they'll explain it far better than I can because I'm an absolute idiot. There was another guy who uh, entered a photograph into a competition and then they found out that he'd airbrushed out in Photoshop a plastic bag that was tiny mm. 
and it caused a massive controversy uh, along the lines of the purity of photography. This also then reminds me of, of that recent case of a wildlife photographer who gave a chimp a camera and the chimp took a selfie and who owns that photograph oh god and that was a that was a that was a recent case so I'll try and dig that out as well so there is there's lots of interesting sort of like legal strangeness about photography mm. generally but specifically i suppose about ai um, and its ability to wipe out humanity. <laughs> so something. There are some days when I quite welcome that that outcome. Oh dear, we've gone all <laughs> apocalyptic. Well, one of the days that I wish that had happened was yesterday when I watched our latest film, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I mean, it feels like it's it makes a very strong case for itself to be called the worst film ever made. It does indeed. <laughs> so, We've reached the bottom of the barrel, the <laughs> exploitation barrel. <laughs> so, and I'm not even sure what this what this film is called. So, in English, I think there's it can be called the robot versus the Aztec mummy. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen it called the Aztec mummy against the humanoid robot, which might be a, a more literal translation of the. Um, Mexican, Spanish? It's a Mexican film, isn't it? It's Mexican. So, yeah, so the Spanish Spanish name for this film is La Momia Azteca Contra el Robot Humano, <laughs> which is, I suppose, the Aztec mummy versus the robot human. Yeah. Uh, so it's a film that was made in 1958. It is a Mexican film. <laughs> and it is... I'd say one of the most boring films I've ever seen. And I think that's that is seems like that's the unforgivableness of this film. Is that there's so much of it is so boring. The original Mexican film had subtitles. Okay. And it's much better. I bet it is. One of the things that marks this film out <laughs> is the quality of the of the dubbing acting, which is very poor. Oh, it's <laughs> It's hilariously poor, though. It's so bad, isn't it? His curse was to guard the priceless bracelet as well as the golden breastplate. To do so for all eternity. Under this terrible curse, his poor soul would never find repose. Continue, Edward. It's just wonderful. It's so bad. And it just felt like nobody would ever say that, would they? Unless <laughs> unless you've got stock footage of a flashback, which this film for the first 27 minutes has endless reels of. Yeah, so this is this this is the third instalment in the Aztec Mummy saga. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's three films: the Aztec Mummy, the Curse of the Aztec Mummy, and then there's Aztec Mummy versus the Humanoid Robot. Yeah, which is the one that we're interested in today. So the, the sort of plot of the film essentially is that is that there are these people who arrive at this professor's house. I've got a sentence that. Oh, go on. That, a uh, mad doctor builds a robot in order to steal a valuable Aztec treasure from a tomb guarded by a centuries-old living mummy. Yeah, so that is that is the, but that is the plot, except that we have like half an hour, and the film is only sixty minutes long. You've got half an hour of this this professor who's not the evil professor; he's the good professor, filling us in through this conversation on what's happened in the previous two films. Yeah. I was thinking 27 it's, minutes. It's like watching Back to the Future 3 
and Marty and Doc having a conversation, filling us in on what's happened in in episodes one and two. It's so laborious and so boring and so confusing. I've no idea what's going on. I remember writing to you halfway through it. I said, I'm half an hour in and I haven't got a clue what's going on or who anybody is. And also the other thing is that there's so many flashbacks to different time periods. Massively confusing. It's so confusing, isn't it? You've got a flashback to a period that takes place a few months before this film started and then one a few years before and then like one that's like 2,000 years before this film starts. But all three films are just incredibly simple. They're just a riff on the Mummy film. That's it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and all three films are exactly the same, yeah. except halfway through, one of the goodies turns into a baddie and there's no reason why. And he, become, he, he de- develops the moniker The Bat. Yeah, so the baddie, the bad, the bad professor who's constantly trying to get this breast, this Aztec breastplate. Do we know, ever know why he's trying to? A money. It's just money so he can build more humanoid robots. Yeah, no, so, so I, that is the ex, that's the explanation in this film, isn't it? But it doesn't, that doesn't explain, because he, he basically, in this film, he's, he's built a robot with a human head inside. <laughs> uh, to, kill, to kill the mummy. To kill the mummy. Specifically, to kill the mummy. guarding the treasure. And then he says, I want, the, I want the treasure in order to create an army of robots. Yeah, but he also wants the secret that's in the hieroglyphics that don't exist in Aztec culture that's written on the breastplate. Right. And which can find... bring the dead back. Okay. So he wants to bring the dead back to life. No, he just wants to build an army of robots now. He's changed yeah, his mind. He's changed his tune, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Has... It's no good killing the audience with tedium only to want to <laughs> resurrect them later that's not very good so there's professor edward he's a, basically a believer in past lives isn't he yes and uh, he's been laughed at and poo-pooed by the scientific community <laughs> which caused him to feel squishy i attended and gave a talk on the results of my studies related to the regression of a patient to a past life through the use of hypnosis and my theory was made the subject of ridicule, and I left the convention bitter and defeated. I got to the house feeling unsure of these ideas. I'd been squelched. <laughs> <laughs> that point was the point that I just I just howled with laughter. Yeah, it's a good good moment. So yeah, the, prof- the good professor Edward, who believes in past lives, his girlfriend just happens to have a past life which connects her to the. The origin of the Aztec mummy. Yes. Popoka. Oh, that's his name. That's the mummy's name, yep. Yeah. So they were in love and she got sacrificed and he got crazed and got got angry. And so he has to protect this breastplate. But Edward wants the breastplate or wants at least to stop the bad professor from getting the breastplate. Originally, it was just like a terrible Indiana Jones film and they accidentally revived the, the mummy. But yeah. all the way through, Flora, who's the woman, is the reincarnation of Zochitl. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Don Cheadle. Yeah, Don so Cheadle. It's the reincarnation of Don Cheadle. Now, that would be a film I would be prepared to pay some money for. Um, <laughs> so it's incredibly confusing, the whole thing. It shouldn't thing. be. No, That's I the know. whole point. And also, the other thing that I was reading is that they, the, all these films were shot at the same time. Yeah, within a year. 
so so the first one was presumably quite popular, was it? And then I couldn't find it because I was looking for it under a, a Western title because all of these films were imported into America by a guy called K. Gordon Murray, who saw a mine of these gorgeous films, that, but he'd overdubbed them, as we've talked about, ridiculously into English, badly into yeah. English. And so the names got changed. And then right at the last minute, I did find the original one, but didn't have time to watch it. But I did watch The Curse of the Aztec Mummy. That's the second film, is it? That's the second one, which the third <clears throat> film takes most of its flashbacks from. Okay. And was that was that a good film? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of interest, do you know why it was the fa- was it the fashion of the time to dub rather than subtitle foreign? Yes. Films? Oh yeah, yeah. Nobody. What, would and why watch. was that? Because because it's all about money and it's all about a certain class of people that they think would not sit there and read at the bottom of a. Um, I don't think I don't think art house films really came in until the French New Wave, Nouvelle Vague, came in, mm. and they became very popular. They became very popular amongst auteurs of, of film because they were filming in a totally different way. So um, art house films, but you had Grindhouse, which would take like Mexi- Mexican exploitation films and exploitation films from all over. When was Mexican exploitation films? They started um, in the sixties early 60s into the 70s and they were very much like uh, American exploitation movies that they were low budget science fiction films uh, and then in the 80s and 90s they started to become more about drug cartels uh, but there is a really interesting aspect of all of this was which was the luchadors because in Mexican exploitation films mexploitation uh, the heroes were always wrestlers uh, and in fact, the guy who plays the bat was a luchador. He was a wrestler. And you can tell that in his performance because <laughs> it's way over the top. So you had uh, luchadors, luchadoras, female wrestlers. There's a whole slew. And a lot of them involve um, Aztec mummies. So I've got a list of them. Okay. So you've got uh, Mil Mascaras versus the Aztec Mummy in 2007, which is, takes it uh, up to date. And then we go back to the 60s with Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy, The Great. Castle of Guanjato Mummies, Attack of the Mayan Mummy, 64, Terra en San Angel, which is a Aztec series of films, Aztec Mummy series of films, 1973, and Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy. And then there's Vampire Women versus the Aztec Mummy. There's a lot of them. But they all involve um, Mexican wrestlers, which I thought was quite interesting. That is. And why do they? Well, because the Mexican wrestlers become movie stars. Okay. It's like, so this kind of like thing, The Rock. Like The Rock, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. And it's a bit like... Um, in the 30s and 40s, that uh, Olympic stars would become movie stars. Mm. Um, Johnny Weissmuller, uh, Buster Crab, and Esther Williams, who was an Olympic swimmer. Wet, she's a star. Dry, she ain't. <laughs> That's what they used to say. You've Isn't got it? to say it as if you've got a cigar in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Wet, she's a star. Dry, she ain't. <laughs> So, yeah, it's kind of a tradition, but in Mexico, the tradition was for luchadors. Okay. And in this film, when it was first released, the robot in this film was dubbed a relentless machine in the film's tagline. 
<laughs> so why don't we just take a few moments just to describe the relentless machine, the the human robot. It appears on a gurney with the, the wonderful uh, villain with a control panel in his hands. Yes, Looking madder and madder and madder as nothing happens to the robots. <laughs> I know that was that really struck me that it, that he appears, as you say, he appears is strapped with chains onto this gurney, and the evil, mad Doctor Krupp, who's who's also known as the Bat, has got the control panel and is like waking him up, and it takes so long for him to sort of even wake up, and Doctor Krupp. A.K. the bat says the following: You can see it standing there, a, a marvelous, marvelous machine. machine, a tribute to the great intelligence of man, a human robot with and no a- knee joints. <laughs> That's the least of his problems. <laughs> so he's 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 a human robot because it, in a sort of Frankenstein-style move, uh, Doctor Krupp has taken the head of a dead dead man and shoved it inside the robot. From a mortuary. Yeah. And you can see their man's head, the dead man's head, through a cut-out opening in the, in the helmet of the robot. In the original Mexican one, which was a much better quality film, you can see his T-shirt. <laughs> Amazing. And the, the, the head of the robot is a bit Cyberman-y. Would you say? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd it's got say... the sort of tubes coming out of the side of the head that kind of, like, go into the shoulder. He's a cyborg. But he means a classic cyborg, isn't he? I don't know whether I'd go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but he is incredibly slow. Yeah. I mean, slower than I think we've ever seen. Because he's got no knee joints, he's just lumbering from side to side. Yeah, and looks very Frankenstein-like as he walks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he looks very cartoonly Frankenstein, yeah? Yeah, yeah if you were to try and act out Frankenstein, it's, it's exactly how you'd see him walk. And so essentially... You've got you get at the point where you have the denouement of the film, which is where the the robot fights the mummy. They just cuddle each other <laughs> for about sixty seconds. The last thing I wrote in my notes was could not be less interested in how this pans out, <laughs> <laughs> which might be a better subtitle for this film. But anyway, the mummy wins in the end and is given the breastplate back by Flora and then just goes off, just just wanders off and then he that's does. the end of the film. And they're all in his tomb, they're all in his house and he just goes out just thinking, goes, it's too crowded in here now, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> I've got me breastplate and me bracelet, see yeah, ya. Very good. I mean, he only gets, he only manages to kill the robot because somebody shoots the control panel off the bat's arm. And, and then, then he he's... really does like smash oh, it up, doesn't he? <laughs> Just, you could, like a box, a, a series of cardboard boxes. He crum- really, really does reveal its <laughs> its material with this fella throwing it around. When the robot set fire to the uh, the man in the cemetery's poncho and he just ran off into the distance, just billowing smoke, <laughs> there was a point where that I actually thought the robot did look a bit like Bender. Yeah, you're right. And he now does remember look like what? Bender. Do you remember what Bender's? Real name is? No. Bender Bending Rodriguez. <gasps> is he Mexican as well? He is Mexican. He's <clears throat> a Mexican robot. I Brilliant. wonder if he's a direct descendant. Yeah, that's excellent. I like that a lot. 
and the robot has a real look of the 1930s sort of you know um, boiler robots, the the water heater robots that we've seen. I read um, a review somewhere and somebody said this robot makes the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz look like the Terminator robot at the end of the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it feels like we probably need to put this episode out of its misery, don't we? So let's rate let's rate the the robot human. The Have we gone robot. into my minus numbers yet? <laughs> yeah, no. But this feels like it's such a step backwards, isn't it? We we are we're 20 years no, 30 years on from um Metropolis. And so we're sort of 25 years on from those those robots in Undersea Kingdom and uh, those 1930s serials, which this really does look like. So it feels we've taken an enormous step backwards. We have, yeah. Especially as we've not long enjoyed Robbie and the lovely Kronos, like two, two, two robots that are in, in their own sort of way, sort of pushing things forward. Very uh, imaginative. Yeah. Very only nicely to, engineered. Yeah, only to take a colossal lumbering step backwards with the humanoid robot. Haven't we seen some robots that have been pretty shit, but they've been used very well by yeah. the director? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, in, I suppose in the humanoid robot's defence, we have never seen a robot with a human head in it before, have we? <laughs> <laughs> so this, I mean, that's something that is unique no, and interesting. true. And that's still, that's like a Matt Groening kind of trope as well, because he yeah. has lots of heads in... Bottles and stuck on top of robots in future armor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what, what are you going to give it out of ten? Uh, I'm going to have to go into minus numbers. I'm afraid. Okay, I'm going to go minus five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Minus five, it is. Oh, you didn't even fight. No, I mean, I, was, I thought you might go worse. Than you that, didn't but... put your Mexican wrestling mask on and fight me, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so so far, so this this probably is the worst robot we've seen in probably the worst film we've seen, and we have seen some pretty terrible films. We've seen some howlers, Matt. <laughs> Let but, me just say that we've watched this film, so you don't have to. Exactly, exactly. But I have to say, when we, in my moment of despair, when you phoned me halfway through the film, we did both say, didn't we, that it was one of those films that if you are watching it with a, a like-minded friend then it actually probably would be quite funny. So if you've got a friend and you like this sort of thing, then then don't rule it out. Don't rule no. out a little screening in your own house. Have a giggle. Yeah. And also, you know, rejoice because we've got I've got real high hopes for the film that is next on our list. Also a 1958 film, but an American film, The Colossus of New York. Ooh. A film I've not seen. Oh, a brilliant. That's great. So we, we can enjoy that together for the first time. Cool. So we'll see you next time for The Colossus of New York. If you want to watch it before we chat about it, please do, and then you can enjoy Dr Murray's lecture all the more. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. This thing I created has enormous power. 